What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On today's episode, we'll be diving deep into the potential risks and rewards of the Westbrook-Harden pairing in Houston. We'll be asking what's next for Chris Paul and his career. And finally, we'll be taking a look at five players who are looking to bounce back from serious injuries next year. Let's get into it. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Around the Arc. I'm Jamie. Happy to have you here, as always. Now... In case you didn't uh, check out my episode from last week, I advise you to go and do that just now before we jump into the first topic today. Um, So just to fill you in, uh, in last week's episode, I was going through the top star duos in the NBA. Now, one one of the very top that I had was Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Uh, the new duo that's formed in Houston this summer. Now I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into this pairing and analyze it a bit this week. So if if you want to check out last week's episode first, go ahead and do that. But um, yep, we're just gonna dive right into this pairing. Uh, so just to quickly fill you in, uh, after Paul George was traded from Oklahoma City to the Clippers and that it became very clear that Oklahoma City were heading in a rebuilding direction and Russell Westbrook was obviously the next piece that was going to go. Um, and that did happen a lot quicker than uh, most of us were expecting, but he was traded to Houston in exchange for Chris Paul. Now, at this point in their respective careers, Westbrook is a better player than Paul is. So the Rockets did upgrade their talent, but me and a lot of other people are very skeptical of Westbrook and Harden and how they'll fit together. Because they, they appear to be one of the least compatible 
pairings in the NBA. So anyway, what I'm going to do with this pairing, I'm just going to go through a few of the positives, a few of the negatives, um, some of the potential risks and rewards, if you will, for for this pairing. Reasons why this could work and, and Houston could be in a very nice situation this season or reasons it might not work and could cause this kind of entire era of Rockets basketball to kind of crash and burn. So I'm going to start with the negatives here because I obviously want to end on a end on a positive note. Now, obviously, the the most glaring negative or potential risk of this pairing comes in the form of Westbrook's outside shooting. So that is the one area where Chris Paul far exceeds Russell Westbrook, and it's what made him fit in with with this Rockets team, especially James Harden, a lot better than it appears Westbrook will on paper. Um, I mean, statistically, Westbrook, he's one of the worst perimeter shooters of all time. Uh, he's, for his career, he's, about, he's just under a 31% three-point shooter. And that dipped to around 29% a season ago. And what's worse is that he's a volume shooter from out there. And I think for this pairing to work, Westbrook and Harden, then Russ, he's going to have to become more accurate from out there. Um, and maybe not take quite as many per game. I mean, at times in his career, he has been a solid catch-and-shoot threat, but he has been woefully inconsistent year to year. Um, So he'll need to have a good catch-and-shoot season next year for this to have any chance of working, really. And although although Houston's offense isn't a fan of mid-range shots... I think it would also be beneficial if if Russ can regain his form that he used to have from from the mid range when he he used to be one of the most lethal pull up mid range shooters in the league, and aside aside from just his jump shot, another uh, one shot that Westbrook has never really mastered in his career has been the floater, and I mean if he if he could improve that area of his game. That could add an, that would add another wrinkle to his scoring game, and it would make him more unpredictable. You know, coming off screens or handoffs, and I think if he if he added a added a respectable floater to his game, I think this would also improve his finishing accuracy at the rim, since he wouldn't need to barrel his way to the basket every time when he attacks off off a pick and roll or. Or that pistol action that that Houston likes to run occasionally. Another another potential downside of this pairing is just the fact that that each guy, both both Harden and Westbrook, they're two of the most high usage players in the NBA. In fact, they're actually two of the most high usage players ever. Um, I mean, in the last half decade. Not a single player has taken more shots than Russ, except for one, and that is, you guessed it, James Harden. Now, I know it's kind of a cliche thing to say, but there are only so many possessions in a game and only so many shots to go around, and 
although I expect each of their usage rates to inevitably dip, um, I think this could still be too much of an issue to overcome. And as these guys have become more ball dominant over the years, as they've you know each become the guy for their for their respective clubs, um, they've each shown a kind of decreased interest to do really anything when they're off the ball. Now that's something that that Chris Paul complained about. Uh, he wanted more player movement, more ball movement in the Houston offense. But now he's out of town. But that's something that each of these guys is going to have to kind of figure out and work on if if this is going to work. Um, first off, I think uh, James Harden he needs to be willing initially uh, to incorporate more movement into the Houston offense. And secondly, both he and Russ they they need to become more committed. To, to playing off the ball, to moving off the ball. Uh, otherwise, at times, the Rockets will essentially be playing four on five on offense whenever the two are on the floor together. Um, so obviously, cutting will be more important, I think, especially for Russ because of his lack of shooting. I think it will work better for him, you know, cutting to the basket, using backdoor cuts, all that, all that stuff. And I think each each guy should look to be setting more picks off the ball as well, just to be creating more movement, you know, getting guys open, uh, creating better looks and things. And I think especially the, the screening aspect of the game, this should be more of a point of emphasis for, for Harden, who he'll obviously demand a lot more attention from defenses because of his shooting ability. And... Also, if I, if I'm Mike Mike D'Antoni as well, I might even look to experiment with a Westbrook Harden pick and roll or a Harden Westbrook pick and roll, you know, um, anything really to just incorporate more movement and keep defenses guessing, because if you if you resort to you know, ISO ball as much as they did last year and they just do kind of your turn my turn, it's going to be become way too predictable. And way too easy to defend, especially um, when Houston faces the better teams in the league and when it comes around to playoff time and things. Now, defensively, both of these guys, their their defensive statistics, they I mean they rack up steals and and blocks, but um, and while both of them usually rank towards the top of the league in in deflections as well as well as steals. Those numbers can be a little bit deceiving, and there is still room for improvement on that end. I mean, for 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 James, he's shown a lot of improvement on defense over the last few years. I mean, he's nowhere near the 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 highlight reel that he used to be for for bad defense. Um, he's like a Shackton staple back in the days. Those days, those days are behind him. He ha- he has improved a lot and for him i think while we'll he'll obviously never become an all nba defender i think for him it's just about showing more consistent effort and for westbrook on the other hand i've I've said this in last week's episode i think he has the talent and ability to be a great defender and while he does show he shows flashes at times 
he'll also need to provide more consistent effort and discipline. So maybe he needs to cut out a few of his all-or-nothing gambles that, he, that he's prone to. And with the with the reduced offensive workloads for each of these guys, they'll they'll both be able to exert extra energy and effort on on defense if if they want to, and that's what the question will ultimately be is is whether these guys are are willing to do that and willing to put in that that extra effort on that end. Now another another thing, another question about this duo. I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how they play down the stretch of close games and and especially in the playoffs as well. It'll be interesting to see how well they work together in these situations. They they could theoretically win fifty five plus games this season, but against the other top teams and in the playoffs, it will become a matter of how they close games together and if they can do it successfully. I mean, like like I just said before, the, the your turn, my turn offense, can it can only work so much. I mean, they'll have to get a bit more creative and develop more of a feel for each, other, each other's games and in these clutch situations and learn how to play off one another well. And at the end of the day... This will be the biggest factor that determines how successful this duo can be. This is what people will look at and to to see if if this pairing has worked or not. Fair or unfair, you know, no matter how many regular season wins they have, it will be how they perform in these situations and in the big games together that determines how much of a success or failure this experiment is and finally the on my list of potential risks is not so much about the pair itself but more about the team that can be built around them because since both of these guys are on huge monster contracts I think it will be a real challenge for for Daryl Morey and the and the Houston front office to to add enough talent and the right talent around these two. And also, if if this doesn't work out, if this if this pairing doesn't go the way they're wanting it to, then it will only become more difficult to to trade Westbrook over time as he gets older. And I think. Uh, well, he's 31 now, so when he's either 34 or 35, he's set to make around $47 million. So the pressure's on for this year especially, if not next year. If they if they can't get it to work in the next year or two, I mean, the, the pressure's on because Westbrook's going to become nearly untradeable, much like Chris Paul's contract is at the moment. We'll get, we'll get into that in the in the next section of the episode. But yeah, the pre the pressure's on for them to make it work because they've kind of the Rockets. They've kind of they've basically sacrificed their future for the present, and they're gambling on this pairing to work. 
Uh, but it's not all. It's not all bad. I wanna. I wanna finish with some with some positives here because, you know, at the end of the day, they're still a really talented pairing, a really talented team. So I mean, this this could this could definitely work. And the first thing they've got going for them, I think they've they've played together before. They have experience playing together, and not only that, they have a they have a good relationship off the court, which is kind of the foundation that you need to be successful on the court. And and when they when they did play together in Oklahoma City, it's worth pointing out they did play really well together. They did excel together. Now, as I've already pointed out, although their games have changed a lot since that time, the fact that they have that experience with one another, I don't think that's something to be glossed over. And the fact that the fact that Harden was apparently instrumental in in making this trade happen and getting Russ to Houston and and the fact that Houston was one of the one of the places Russ told Oklahoma City that he wanted to go that these things it shows that these two clearly want to make it work so that that is a little bit encouraging when you think they might they might be willing to make some necessary sacrifices individually to in order to make this work so even if even if the rest of us are are skeptical about this pairing like i certainly certainly am it does seem clear that that both of these guys are convinced that they can make it work now another thing um and this is something that uh, mike d'antoni can do much like what he did with uh, Chris Paul and James Harden, is he can stagger their minutes so that so that they each have time on the court without the other. If that makes sense. Um, now, like I said, this worked very well with James Harden and Chris Paul, and I don't. I expect D'Antoni to do the same uh, with Westbrook and. I expect this to work just as well because both guys are no stranger to carrying an offense and being the the, the centerpiece uh, of an offense. Um, but the questions do arise when they when they share the court together, which will probably be for you know at least twenty minutes a night between twenty and twenty five minutes a night. They'll have to be on the court together. And that's where a lot of those potential risks and, and questions start to start to come up. And just just to, to touch on um Coach D'Antoni again briefly and and how this affects Westbrook, he'll arguably be the best coach the Russ has ever played for. He's definitely gonna be the best offensive coach. Um, you know, he's leagues ahead of both Scott Brooks and, and Billy Donovan in terms of offensive prowess. And I mean, if you look at Dan Tony's history, he has a he has a knack for just making offenses work and making players fit together. And he also has a tendency to to unlock players' potential, especially guards. I mean, you look at what he did with with Steve Nash and what he has done in Houston already with James Harden. And, I mean, he managed to even make Raymond Felton look like an all-star. If you don't remember back in, in 2010 when Felton was with the Knicks and D'Antoni was the head coach. 
uh, Felton put up around 17 points and 9 assists that season. So, need I say any more? If there's going to be a coach to make this work, it's definitely Mike D'Antoni, I think. And finally, the this Houston Rockets roster, they have all the pieces to allow Russ to thrive in their in their system, much like Harden currently does. I mean, uh, you look at Clint Capella. I mean, he's a he's a fairly similar center to Stephen Adams, who. Westbrook had amazing chemistry with in Oklahoma City. I mean, the pair were a lethal pick-and-roll combo, and they were one of the best uh, lob duos in the league. Now, Westbrook and Compella, I think, can thrive just as much in in the very same way. And, of course, we also can't forget about the shooting on this Houston team. Although although Russ may not be the most capable outside scorer, he is one of the very best passers and distributors in the league, which that skill will only become elevated and more more clearly defined in this offense since he'll be surrounded with so much shooting. So there are the pieces on this team to make it work. Like Isaiah, the question just becomes how much each of the stars, Westbrook and Harden, how much each of them are willing to sacrifice and change their games. I think it more so comes down to Russ, because I think he's, at the end of the day, he's going to have to ultimately defer to Harden as it is his team, and he'll need to change his game more. But like like I've said before in past episodes as well, that doesn't mean Harden can just play the exact same way he did, especially last year. You know, he is going to have to make some slight adjustments to his game, namely playing off the ball and being and being a threat in the in the possession to where Westbrook is the ball handler. Like that that's the main question for these two. Now just just to sum up this this section. If you remember back to last year's NBA Finals when both KD and Clay went down with their respective injuries, the Western Conference was blown wide open. And at the time, it seemed obvious that, that Houston were going to be the team most likely to step in and kind of fill that void and assume control of the conference. But now, as we are all very aware, things have changed in a big way. You know, the, the Clippers and Lakers are now stacked. The Denver Nuggets are going to be better and more experienced. The Blazers are still going to be as good. Uh, the Spurs are still going to be the Spurs, and they're getting DeJounte Murray back. Uh, the Mavs have added Kristaps Porzingis, and they're going to have another year of, of Luka probably coming back new and improved. And obviously Golden State, while they don't have Clay and KD, they're still going to be in the mix. So there may not be an unbeatable super team at the top of the standings anymore. But even despite that, the West seems to be even stronger this year and is definitely deeper. And that'll that'll only make 
the rocket's job harder and it only puts more pressure on their new superstar duo to figure things out now both westbrook and harden they have the talent and potential to put houston in the conversation with with the very best teams in the west and i think the upside for this for this pairing is you know, Russ playing the best team ball of his career, mashing with Harden and pushing Houston into true contention territory. But the downside, the potential downside, could result in the end of this Rockets era of basketball. It's a real boomer bust season this year, and I don't know about you, but I cannot wait to see how it unfolds let me know let me know what you think is going to happen let me know how you think this this pairing is going to work out as always you can hit me up on twitter at around the arc pod and give me your thoughts on there love to hear from you but now let's dive in to the other major part of the Russell Westbrook trade, and that is Chris Paul. So before we before we get into his situation that he finds himself in now, uh, I'll just quickly get you up to speed on everything that that led to, to Chris Paul being traded. So as you as you all know, the Rockets flamed out of the 2019 NBA playoffs, once again losing to the Golden State Warriors for the second year in a row. And it was clear after they lost Game 6 at home that changes needed to occur in Houston. They weren't going to to get it done with this with this exact roster, as last year was arguably their best chance uh, after KD went down with the injury. Um, so then after the season finished and everything, it came out that the team's stars at the time, James Harden and Chris Paul, they were no longer speaking to one another and people were saying that their relationship was broken beyond repair. Now, although both have come out and since disputed these reports, it it didn't stop the CP3 trade rumors from swirling around uh, the the NBA world, and whether you believe the the beef rumors or not, these trade rumors they certainly did hold weight because it wasn't long before Chris Paul was traded um, for Russell Westbrook, as I've already covered, um, which meant Paul wound up in Oklahoma City. Now, since since the Thunder had also traded their other all-star, Paul George, to the Clippers, it was obvious that Sam Presti and the team were going in a totally different direction. They were looking to, to begin a full-blown rebuild. And so as right from the start, as soon as this Chris Paul Russell Westbrook trade went through, it became clear that the Thunder's intention was to move CP3 as soon as possible. But because of mainly because of uh, Paul's huge contract, uh, trade talks stalled. 
And I mean, there weren't that many teams interested in in trading for in trading for the star point guard in the first place. Um, so now that an immediate trade seems less and less likely, it appears that Chris Paul is going to remain on the Thunder for the foreseeable future, and he'll likely at least start the season playing for the team. So with Paul now on the team going forward, at least for now, we we don't really know how this affects... Presti's plan for the team and, and, and rebuilding it. But here's something we do know. Chris Paul is still a very, very good basketball player. And here, here are some numbers to prove it, right? I know he had arguably his worst statistical season last year, and the health is always going to be a question. But... When Chris Paul was on the court last year without James Harden, he put up around 22.5 points and 12.5 assists per 36 minutes. And the Rockets actually had a better net rating with just Paul on the court as opposed to when Paul and Harden shared the court together. So even, even at 34 years of age now, Chris Paul, he's still, he still can be a beast, simply put. I mean, he may not be worth $40 million a season, but I think he, still, he can still be one of the best point guards in the league, provided he can remain healthy, which at this point is a massive if. But anyway, in Oklahoma City... I think he'll he'll obviously be given more opportunities to prove that he can still be that guy, that all-star caliber point guard who can, you know, run an offense as good as anyone in the league. Um, moving away from the from the kind of standstill isocentric offense that that revolved around Harden and Houston, I think uh, Paul will be able to play more to his strengths, he'll be able to play at his pace, more his style of basketball. And this will mean he'll have the ball in his hands a lot more. And for one, I expect to see plenty of Chris Paul, Stephen Adams pick and rolls. And that should be a lethal, lethal combo as they develop chemistry with one another. And I also think playing in a more playing in a more balanced offense with more ball movement, more player movement, I think that should help Paul's efficiency as well, which dropped to a career low last year. I think he shot just under 42% from the field last year, which is almost unheard of from Paul since his rookie season, actually. He's always been one of the more efficient scorers in the league. Uh, so I think playing within this the, a more typical offense will will both up his efficiency and his overall production. Now, assuming he can stay healthy, I think having a having a bounce back year statistically um will ultimately really help his trade value as well should the Thunder look to move him maybe before the deadline next season. Another another kind of upside to him staying in Oklahoma City for the for the foreseeable future is that he'll have the opportunity to to kind of mentor 
Shea Gilgis Alexander, who was kind of the major the major return that that the Thunder got in the Paul George trade. Now he projects to be a potential star in the making, franchise cornerstone, and definitely OKC's point guard of the future. Now I've no idea how willing uh, CP will be to to assume this kind of mentorship role, but even it, even even if he doesn't, just being able to watch the the point god um on a daily basis going up against him in practice and just being able to learn by watching him i think that'll do wonders for for shay's development and it, this could be much like what we saw uh, during paul's tenure with the clippers a few years ago when when he had eric bledsoe as his backup and then after that season i think it was the 2013 season after then when Bledsoe got traded, we saw him kind of blossom into a borderline all-star, and he's he's been a starting caliber point guard ever since then. Now, I think this situation with with Gilgis Alexander could be very similar to the to the Bledsoe situation, except the one difference being that that Shea has the potential to become quite a lot better quite a lot better does that make sense a lot better <laughs> it has the potential to come to become a lot better than than Bledsoe is so although initially it did seem like a negative for the thunder having to hang on to to chris paul for the time being when you think about it there are actually a few positives and like i said i don't know how this how this affects Sam Presti's plan to rebuild the team moving forward. Maybe maybe he opts to to remain at least competitive for the time being. Because I think with the with the team they've currently got, they could compete for a lower seed lower playoff seed in in the Western Conference. Maybe they could compete for a seven or eight seed. You know, so maybe maybe that's the direction they want to go in for now. I don't know. Either way, there are there are positives with Chris Paul staying on the Thunder. In any case, however, it is I assume still the Thunder's plan to move Paul once once the right deal kind of presents itself. Now, obviously things can change very quickly in the NBA as we have <laughs> as we have clearly seen this summer and and they might change even more once once the season begins. But for the time being, I just wanted to list a few teams that could potentially be in the mix for for a Chris Paul trade at some point during the season. Now these are going to be in decreasing no increasing order of likelihood. So I'll start off with I think the least likely team to be in the mix for the Chris Paul trade, and that is the the L.A. Lakers. Now, I think that this there were a few rumors earlier on in the summer about about Paul potentially being moved to L.A., and I think this would basically only work if the Thunder agreed to a buyout, and they agreed to buy out Paul if that's what he, he went to them saying he wants. And... That doesn't seem at all likely at this point. I don't think it makes much sense for the Thunder or or Chris Paul, to be honest. I think it would be cool to see him and LeBron play together, but aside from you know selling tickets and the kind of the sentimental appeal of of that pairing, 
this this move doesn't really make much sense for anybody. So I don't I don't really expect anything to happen with the Lakers. Next up I've got the the San Antonio Spurs. Now if this trade were to were to happen, the Spurs would have to include either DeMar DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge in the deal to make it work. Um now if I'm the Spurs, I would I think I would include DeRozan. Um as I think Paul and Aldridge, they would be a brilliant pairing together. But the fact the fact that the Spurs would need to include one of those guys, I think that makes this move pretty unlikely. And also on for the Thunder side as well, I don't know why they would want a guy like DeRozan or a guy like Aldridge as their their timelines don't match up with with the Thunder's current direction as the as OKC they've you know decided to to go super young and build for the future and uh, DeRozan and Aldridge they're both kind of win now players at the in their prime or at the tail end of their prime so I think I think this move also is is pretty unlikely to happen but let's just entertain it for a minute shall we because I think like I said, a Paul Aldridge pick and roll would be nearly unguardable. And also, I think for for Paul individually, I think uh, going to San Antonio, that would be the best move uh, for him individually. Is I think he'd be able to fully maximize his latter years uh, in the league playing under, under uh, Greg Popovich and in the Spurs system, which you know, can kind of make any player thrive. So, I mean, it's nice <clears throat> It's nice to think about that move and Paul winding up in the Spurs, but ultimately, I don't think it's going to happen. Now we move into teams which hold more validity to them, if you want. Uh, teams that I think are at least a bit more likely to, to make a move for for Paul. The first of which is the Dallas Mavericks. Now, the Mavs, they seem set to climb up the standings in the Western Conference next year with with their rookie sensation Luka Doncic likely coming back better, more well-rounded and experienced player in year two. And not to mention the fact that they're getting Kristaps Porzingis back. Uh, he'll be making his long-awaited return from, from his ACL tear. Now, they're not expected to be in contention next season, but adding a third piece, a third star, like Chris Paul, could bring them closer to that point. Um, however, if this trade were to occur, I'm not sure how well Paul would mesh with Luca, because, you know, Doncic, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. He's going to be the centerpiece of of Dallas's offense. Um, I mean, they could make it work, definitely. I mean, there are certainly worse fits, you could imagine. But um, the other thing to consider is the timeline, because uh, Doncic and Przingis, their timeline doesn't really match up with Paul's. Um, but, I mean, you, you never know. Um, Dallas, they do have the pieces to make a deal work. 
uh, you could imagine the Thunder accepting maybe Hardaway, Tim Hardaway Jr.'s expiring, expiring or not expiring. I think he's got two years left on the deal. Uh, maybe taking on Courtney Lee's expiring deal. Um, with with Oklahoma City, what they're mainly looking for is is cap relief to basically to to move away from Chris Paul's huge contract. Now, whether that would be enough of an incentive on its own to make a deal work is the question. But if if the Thunder do get that desperate to to just get rid of uh, Chris Paul's salary, then it's not impossible. For the, for the Mavs to be a potential suitor for a Chris Paul trade. We're moving on to a team where I think could potentially be the best fit for Chris Paul, and that is the Detroit Pistons. Now, I think this would work on paper, uh, of course, as long as Paul and Detroit's current star, Blake Griffin, can get along with one another. Obviously, the, this pair, they spent six seasons together, uh, in LA with the Clippers and while they were contenders each year um, during their time in LA they they ultimately came up short year after year be it due to injury or or an inexplicable to co- collapse to the Rockets in, in 20, 2015 don't get me started on that <laughs> um, but I mean if the two can set aside any differences they may have they could they can still be a formidable duo, duo together if both can stay healthy, which obviously is a is a big question for both. But if they can, I think adding Chris Paul would definitely push Detroit up the standings in in the Eastern Conference. I think he's definitely an upgrade at point guard over over Reggie Jackson. <laughs> I mean that goes without saying. Um and I think also, if if the Pistons, if they could somehow add a little bit more shooting, a little bit more wing depth, then they could potentially compete for a top four seed in the East, even. And I mean, the situation the team currently finds themselves in, uh, Detroit. I'm, I'm meaning, they're currently in no man's land, right? They're an average team without a clear. <clears throat> without a clear roadmap for the future. And by adding Paul, they will at least go from an average team to a good one. And although although a CP3 trade will still leave their, their future in question, it would definitely bolster the present and make them a more enjoyable team to watch, at least a more respectable a more respectable squad. And now finally, the the final team I've got on this list, uh, the team that you hear the most rumors about, about having the most interest in, in landing Chris Paul, that is the Miami Heat. Now, as well as being the most talked about trade destination for, for Paul, it also it seems to make at least some sense for for both sides to to make this to make this move work. You know, on Miami's side, they already acquired Jimmy Butler this summer, um, and have made it clear that they'd like to add another star to to help the team kind of compete in the East next year. Now, Chris would obviously he could obviously be that guy. Um, the only the only question then becomes who Miami includes in the deal, 
since they're they're reportedly hesitant to include um, either Bam Adebayo or Justice Winslow in the deal. Two pieces which the the Thunder would obviously love to have. You know, young guys with still a lot of room to grow, still a lot of potential. Um, now I think this is likely why trade talks stalled between the two teams. The fact that Miami were kind of refusing to add these guys. But depending on how Paul plays to start the season, I think, uh, the Heat could regain interest again. If if Paul is healthy and he's kind of balling out um, for the Thunder, then maybe maybe the Heat kind of change their mind and, and regain interest. I'm not sure. But at the moment, I think it should be between the Pistons and the Heat as the most likely teams to to land Chris Paul. But again, let me know where you think Paul should go. Uh if you want to hit me up with any with any trade scenarios um that could potentially work, again, uh hit me up on Twitter at around the arc pod. Um I might even uh I might even be posting some of my own potential trade scenarios for Chris Paul on there. So can keep up to date with all that stuff on there and yeah hit me up about it but anyway moving on to our final topic of the day and this is my list of five guys who are looking to bounce back from serious injuries this season now i don't feel i need to really explain this list so i'm just going to jump right into it with who I've got at number five, and that is Brandon Ingram. Now, Ingram reportedly hasn't picked up a basketball since March, where he was ruled out for the rest of the season after uh, developing a blood clot issue, which obviously is really scary whenever you hear about that. And obviously, you think about guys like Chris Bosch when you think of blood clot issues, and that, you know, that ended Bosch's career. Um, but the the issue that Ingram was dealing with, it doesn't seem to be nearly as serious. And um all signs are pointing to him being ready for the for the start of training camp, which is which is a good sign. Now before going down with the uh with with the injury last season, uh Brandon Ingram was he seemed to be finally finding his footing offensively in the league, and he was enjoying the the best stretch of play of his young career. Now, his his 2018-19 season, it did get off to a bit of a rocky start. He didn't really fit well with LeBron. But as the season progressed, he really kind of came into his own. And... After the All-Star break, granted, he did only play six games, so it is a very small sample size. But after the the All-Star break, before uh, going down with the injury, Ingram was putting up around 28 points, seven and a half rebounds a night on 57% shooting from the field. He was knocking down about 53% of of his threes as well. Uh, not only that, he was getting to the line about eight times a game, nailing about seventy-five percent of his of his free throw attempts, uh, which you know, not not 
terrific, but it's certainly a great improvement on his career average of about 66%. Now, now that he's with the Pelicans, you know, in the new team, new situation, I think, I think Ingram should look to pick up right where he left off, um, where he left off in, in, in LA as, you know, he'll be one of the, one of the focal points of the offense. He'll get, he'll get, a ton of opportunities and he won't be dealing with the scrutiny of playing on a LeBron team, which uh, I think is, is a big deal for, for a young guy like Ingram. Now, once he does make his return, um, I think I've got a few improvements that, that I'd like to see in his game. Maybe not all at once, but these are a few few areas of his game where he should look to, to sure up a bit. Uh, number one, uh, he's got to become a more proficient three-point shooter. I think we've we've seen glimpses of that. Um, he can certainly show that he can he he can be accurate from out there, but I think he needs to up his volume as well, and that will just just totally unlock his his offensive game and I think take his scoring to to the next level the next one I already briefly touched on I think he he should I think he needs to up his free throw accuracy to around 75 percent which we saw right before he went down with the injury but I think um he needs to look to sustain that over the course of an entire season and finally this has been the the kind of major weakness that that people have pointed to since he came into the league, and that his is his slender frame. I think he should look to add a bit more muscle and a bit more strength to his to his frame. Because if he does that, if he if he becomes a more physically imposing, stronger player on the offensive end, he already has the agility and the length. You know, yeah, he has the length of guys like KD and and Giannis and and Ben Simmons. So if he can if he can add some strength, if he can add some weight, uh, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as those guys, but he'll definitely take a step in that direction. Now, looking ahead to next year, assuming assuming he's healthy, first of all. I would expect Brandon Ingram to put up around 20 points per game. I think that's not too much of a stretch on decent all-around efficiency. I mean, he's always hovered around 50% from the field, so I expect that not to change. Um, And I also expect his all-around game to remain strong. Maybe uh, expect him to put up, you know, six and a half boards a night and then between three and four assists per game as well um and again if he can fill out his frame a little he'll be an even bigger positive on the defensive end as well where he has kind of all the tools and all the potential to be a nightmare on that end too so yeah big things expected from ingram heading into year four now, moving on, uh, number number four on this list, I've got DeJounte Murray of the San Antonio Spurs. Now, Murray, he showed great signs of growth and improvement in his second season in the league with the Spurs. 
and he was looking to carry that momentum into year three last year um where he was going to be the full-time starting point guard for san antonio however uh he tore his acl in i think the third preseason game of last year and that caused him to miss all of last year and obviously you know that hurt his development i think it also hurt san antonio as a result um now where dejounte's impact is felt most is on is on the defensive end where he's already one of the very best defensive guards in the entire league i mean he made uh all defensive second team in in his in his second year now assuming he's back to full strength i expect nothing to change on on defense and he'll still be an absolute pest on that end he's also he's also a fantastic rebounder for a guard um you look at again in his in his 2018 campaign he pulled down nine and a half boards per 36 minutes which is just is crazy for a guy of his size now where he needs to make more strides however is on the offensive side of the ball and he's not bad on that end i mean he's i mean he's a he's a decent finisher at the rim he's got a quick first step which helps helps him get to the rim as well and he has he has the strength to kind of absorb contact in the lane uh, he's also shown flashes of a, of a floater as well, and that'll be something he'll look to develop. And although he he's got a decent basketball IQ and he'll he'll usually make the right plays, a decent passer. But Murray, he's he's not a star playmaker. Um, although I wouldn't say he's as bad as his two point three assists per game average would indicate, but. I mean, he'll likely never be an assist machine, but as he gains more reps and experience, uh, especially now that he'll be he'll be the team's starting point guard, I think that number will only creep up, and he'll become more that much more effective as a as a distributor. Um, not to mention, I think playing in the in the Spurs system will help too, as uh, you know, Coach Popovich has proven in the past. You know, with with Tony Parker, it's the perfect example of the team being able to thrive with a point guard who's not who's never going to be a high assist guy um so i'm not i'm not too worried at all about murray in in that area of the game either the main weakness for him however is his outside shot i mean so far in his career he's nailing around 31 and a half percent of his threes and he's only attempting one per game so his his volume and efficiency they're they're both going to need to increase if if he's going to realize his full offensive upside and i mean given the fact that he's already he's got he's got solid shooting form he's got a decent release um i think those things bode well for him and that makes me think that he can you know improve his jumper over time and another sign of that he's not a terrible free throw shooter around 71 percent it could certainly be worse um so i think those are both encouraging signs that that we will see development in that area and again this is when playing with the playing with the spurs really helps 
um, since they have a notorious reputation for helping players improve their shooting dramatically. Now, I think the most famous case of this is Kawhi Leonard, and we saw how his shooting improved. I mean, I think he was a, a 25% three-point shooter in, in college, and you look at him now, he's one of the best three-point shooters in the league, hovering, you know, around 38 40% for his career. Now, assuming he's back to 100%, I would expect... Uh, DeJounte Murray to be putting up numbers somewhere in the range of like 13 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists, 1.5 steals, around half a block on improved efficiency or maybe around 46% from the field, 34% from 3 on on increased volume and maybe around 75-77% from the line. And while those stats would would definitely be considered a breakout campaign for Murray, definitely the best season so far of his career, I think his his impact on the game will still be even greater than than his stats would would indicate, mainly based on his his incredible defensive ability. Next up, I've got Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, for the the Portland Trailblazers. Now, with only around 10 games left in the regular season last year, uh, Nurkic went down with a horrible leg injury. I mean, I saw it by accident. I hate seeing injuries like that. Um, And that that was gruesome, man. And after that happened, after he went down, everyone basically said that Portland's season was over. Now... They may have been wrong about that since the Blazers ended up going to the conference finals, but I think it would have been very interesting to see Nurk suit up in the playoffs because I think he was he was arguably the team's second best player in the regular season. I think um, you can make the case that he was he was better than CJ McCollum during the season. So it would have been very interesting to see just how good the Blazers could have been with a fully healthy uh, Yusuf Nurkic. Now, at the moment, he's he's listed as out until the end of January, which, um, I mean, that'll still give him enough time once he does return to to kind of wear off the rust before before next year's playoffs. Now, obviously, it'll take some time for him to to kind of get back into game shape and return to you know the form that. Uh, he had before the injury and side note i also think it'll be interesting to see how he and hassan whiteside will fit together once once he returns but presuming he makes a full recovery i expect to see the same guy that we saw last year kind of a a fringe all-star center who can do everything you'd want from a from a traditional big guy really um now it it may help if if he decides to to shed a few pounds off of his you know seven foot two hundred and seventy five pound frame uh just to ease some of the pressure off that off that leg 
Um, a more improved jump shot as well could also make his transition that bit easier. But I don't really expect any major changes overall. But at 100%, I think the return of Nurkic, it might just be enough to vault the Blazers into into the finals discussion out west next year. Let me know if you agree or disagree with that. But yeah, it'll it'll certainly help them regardless now moving on to number two on this list i've got victor oladipo now oladipo he he ruptured a quad tendon in his knee back in january which uh he ruptured a quad tendon in his knee in in january which caused him to miss the remainder of last season now prior to the injury uh, the the sixth year shooting guard for for the Pacers, he was proving to the basketball world that he was one of the very best two way players in the game. And at the time, he was leading a surprising Pacers squad to one of the best marks in the in the Eastern Conference before going down. Now, Oladipo he really he really put everything together when he when he arrived in Indiana and he became a true two-way star now he's always he's always been known for having crazy work ethic and i think he's going to have to rely on that to get back to being the same guy next year after the injury and to be honest i have no real doubts that he'll do that really um in fact i wouldn't be surprised if he comes back as a better overall player next year i mean he already does everything on the court i mean he can score from anywhere he has range on his jumper he can rebound pass defend at an extremely high level i might add plus he is not afraid of the moment we've seen him come up huge in clutch situations as well uh, one thing i would like to see oladipo improve on um I'd like to see his free throw attempts increase. He's su- he's such a good penetrator. He's such a good athlete that I think he could easily average, you know, around six foul shots per game. I don't think that's that much of a push. So, yeah, with with that considered, and assuming he's back to full health, I would I would expect him to be putting up numbers. In the range of you know twenty three point six boards, five and a half assists, or in two steals a night on similar efficiency that we saw in his first year with Indiana. You know maybe somewhere in the range of forty six percent from the field, thirty six from three, and around eighty percent from the from the line on an increased number of attempts per game. I mean, I look at him as kind of a fringe all-NBA selection and a probable candidate for an all-defensive team if he if he's back to full health next year. And with the moves that, that Indiana made this offseason and adding guys like Malcolm Brogdon and, and TJ Warren, Warren uh, which they got from the Suns, I mean, I, I see this Pacers team as a potential dark horse threat in the East with... Uh, potential like with conference finals potential i mean i think the second round is more realistic but 
yeah, don't sleep on this Pacers team, especially when when Victor returns to, to full health. And finally, number one spot on this list, I've got Kristaps Porzingis for the Dallas Mavericks. Now, after missing the entirety of last year, recovering from a torn ACL, and after being traded from, from New York to Dallas, I think Porzingis, he'll be looking to have a major bounce-back season next year, reminding everyone just how good he can be. Now, injury concerns, they're always worrying for, for big guys, but if, if Chris Stapps can stay healthy... I mean, he can be a top 10 player in the NBA, no problem. I mean, he does everything you would want from a modern big man and and more. I mean, he can shoot from anywhere. Uh, his limit limitless range, he has a limitless offensive arsenal. I mean, he's got just about every shot in the book. And he's also a very good two-way threat. People kind of gloss over how good he is on defense as well. I mean, he's a very good rim protector. And for a guy that's 7'3", he is extremely mobile as well. Now, his new star teammate, Luka Doncic, um, who I've already talked about a little bit in this episode, um, he will definitely ease Przingis' transition you know, back onto the court. And, and once back at full strength, this duo should not only be one of the best in the entire league, but they should fit together so well. And this is something I covered quite a lot in last week's episode, talking about the best duos in the league. Um, the one thing, however, I think that Chris Stapp should work on, uh, especially now, now playing in Dallas, is his passing. Both his both his accuracy and his willingness to to pass out of the post, I think finding finding teammates. Uh, you know when when he gets doubled, you know passing out of double teams, passing out of the low post. Those are those are things that I think uh, Chris Epps will need to work on. And I expect he will be better at that, especially now playing with more talent around him, and th- this should definitely unlock his game to another another level and assuming health again with, like with all these guys <laughs> uh i expect him to put up numbers in the range of you know between 23 24 points seven to eight boards between you know one and a half and two assists per game and around two blocks as well and especially playing with playing with Doncic and having better talent around him you know I expect his efficiency to go up as well, maybe somewhere around, you know, 45, 46% from the field. He could be an above 40% three-point shooter as well, and obviously a very efficient free-throw shooter for a big man as well. So, obviously, lots of questions for, for uh all these guys going forward as well obviously health concerns and all that but assuming health i think each of these guys could be in line for big bounce back or even breakout seasons next year now just before we wrap it up i feel like i should point out a few guys you might think are missing from this list and uh, notable guys like uh, clay thompson john wall and uh, Kevin, not Kevin Durant, yeah, Kevin Durant. <laughs> um, 
guys like Clay Thompson, John Wall, Kevin Durant, you know, I left them off because it's not a certainty that they're going to play at all next season. So I thought I'd just kept keep this list to guys who who should be suiting up next year. Um, if you want, I can I can do uh, another another topic, another another segment on on this uh, on this topic. If you want, let me know if you if you'd want to see that. But um, yeah, let me know again who you think's going to have the the best bounce back season out of these guys that I've mentioned. Um, as always, let me know, let me know on Twitter. And with that, that brings us to the end of today's episode, guys. Uh, thanks again for for tuning in. As always, really appreciate it. If um, if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're if you feel like you're getting something out of it, then then it would be awesome if you could go on to iTunes wherever you're wherever you're listening to it. Leave leave a review, five stars preferred, of course. But you can leave you know comments, thoughts, suggestions for for topics or or ways I can make the podcast better. And you know, always open to always open to suggestions. And yeah, love hearing from you guys. Other than that, um, again, hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and I'll see you again next week, where we'll where we'll get into more more NBA stuff. All right. Catch you then. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.